Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 48 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Tonight's episode brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth levels all the way to the pros. I want to say a special thanks to Wilson, who sponsored us through the postseason. That was super fun seeing all of them at the Omaha Experience and right next to the stadium uh, at the College World Series. So again, really appreciate the sponsorship with Wilson and uh, have enjoyed our partnership with S2 as well. I am joined by Kendall J. Rogers, Fitty Barrels, Aaron J. Fit, Joseph Healy, Gentlemen, uh, we are home. We, we, are, we are at our homes. We're, we're, not, we're not at the chuck, as it were. Uh, how are we doing? Good evening. How, how are you doing, fellas? Doing great, Rhodes. Doing awesome. How about you? Yeah, living large. I got my Newtown Edgemont jersey on. The oh, yeah. uh, Green Machine will be hosting the Pennsylvania State Little League Championship Ooh. at the end of July. Uh, they're looking for sponsorships. Um, so there you go. So I'm, I'm my, my apologies, Runes, but has Newtown Edgemont ever been the Little League World Series? Oh, 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 how dare you, Kendall. Night, you're not familiar with the 1967 Newtown Edgemont I'm, Little League? I'm not machine. familiar. Any, any big leaguers the, on that team? Say it again. Any big leaguers on that team? I, I well, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know, but I know they were coached by Mr. Daly, whose name, whose first name I don't know because my okay. whole childhood he was Mr. Daly. Um, he would he would he was at the little league field every night. But Mr. Daly coached that team. The 1982 team did not make it to Williamsport. We won District 19, as you know, uh, but we did not make it to Williamsport. Stinking Middletown. Yeah. You know what? I actually did know that y'all didn't win at 1982. That's right. That's right. It was a part part of your hiring process, your background check that kind of came up. Goodness. Yeah. If you, if you, uh, if you did a background check, this podcast would not be taking place uh, as it were. Uh, Boys, speaking of, let's do some inane banter. Um, Fitzy, I asked if you wouldn't mind, by the way, your, your Fitty Barrels hat, just absolutely gorgeous. That hat is not getting old. It is just getting better by the day. Um, I asked for a, a, like kind of a final tally of the nonsense tracker. Do you have anything to report? Yeah. Did Joe defend his crown? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, Joe, I don't know if Joe's ever lost since he's, since he first uh, burst onto the scene and won the Colin Deaver award, the breakout star in the press box. I, I think he's, I think he's won the nonsense tracker every year. He's just, he's just a like the Skip Burton of the nonsense tracker. Really? Uh, yeah. So Joe did, Joe did win. I think the last night I had tallied it up. Joe was up to about 43 points. Uh, Teddy came in last as usual with negative 51. Oh, um, Teddy C. Uh, Runes, you actually broke even a, a zero for you, which I think is probably probably a win. It's a pretty good score. Yeah. yeah. How'd Kendall yeah. do? Kendall, uh, not bad, negative seven. Uh, and I finished with plus 24. So I think Kendall just hung up on himself. Will he get minus points for that? We just <laughs> lost. We him. Might, have to, might have to dock him. My, minus two to Kendall for dropping out three minutes into the podcast. Oh, man. That's what was your final tally, Fitzy? Because you uh, did show up tardy. Yeah. Plus twenty, plus twenty-four. I finished with that was despite the the the, the negative eighteen deduction for for missing the first couple of days. Oh, you so really I, made I, up some I rallied. 
I rallied. And the, the breakout star was was Peter Flaherty the third, aka PD Three Sticks. PD Three Sticks from Baseball America is the uh, the twenty twenty three Colin Deaver Award winner for breakout star in the press box. Uh, Kendall said his power just rolled out. Oh no! Um, so he's waiting for the uh, the router to come back, and uh, he'll rejoin us. So we can probably oh, just keep rolling. Go. I don't think we're yeah. really Fitzy, one more um, on the nonsense tracker. The, so the, the I don't know the, the technical term, but there's a PA person who speaks to the press box. Um, there's probably a more official term for that, and that is the great Seamus McKnight. He always he always is on the nonsense tracker. How did Seamus fare this year? The, the official score, I believe, is his official oh, title. You Thank you. Um, you know, listen, Seamus has a tough job. Uh, I think he's 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 a, he's a good score, but he's, some of the tough names can can trip him up a little bit, and he's got a history of. <laughs> Uh, of some some doozies, you know, the game could speed up on him a little bit. Uh, Seamus had a uh, finish with a negative 19 this year, which I feel like, uh, you know, I think Seamus. he can do a little better next year. We'll, we'll look for Seamus to rally next year. I mean, when Seamus tried to say Richie Sheikoffer, we basically had to get the police <laughs> tape out. I mean, that was Joe. Have we have we can, have we done an autopsy on that pronunciation? It did not go well. It's not safe for work. I would repeat it, but what he came up with was not safe for work. So we're we're gonna let it go. Oh, you're muted, Kendall. But yes, we're we're talking about the ongoing investigation into the Richie Sheikoffer pronunciation by Seamus. Oh goodness. I feel, like, I feel like we can say it. Sorry about that. My power just randomly rolled out. So come on, uh, H down. Yeah, man, it's 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 bad. It's like 190 degrees here today. This doesn't sound comfortable. Hmm. Yeah. Should, should we say it or no? No, I think we should leave that to the imagination. Let's leave that alone. Hey, are, we, got, are, we, are we unpacking the nonsense tracker? <clears throat> yeah, well, you missed you missed that segment. We're not going to revisit uh, it. You didn't win. You did it okay, though, Raj. Negative seven. Not pretty good showing. Uh, so here I feel – so the one thing that I feel like I, I really wanted to do in Omaha this year was not throw my headphones in and just ignore everybody, and I feel like I did a pretty good job wow. of not doing that. Yeah. yeah you, Je- being you- next to Joe helps. It does help. Yeah, you're right. It makes it when you're just sitting next to me, you got to go to the headphones to tune out my nonsense. Exactly. Uh, but when you're next to Thank Joe, you. you want to hear what's going on. So, yeah. Thank you. Boys, I got one more in the banter um, uh, item. So, I, I feel like, like, so as uh, T Day Ameritrade Park, Charles Schwab Field, blah, 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 it has grown on me over the years. Like, I've really come to love the park. I don't like the name of the park. No. And I'm hearing you know, Charles Schwab field, I feel like it is gaining steam to call it the Chuck. And if I'm being honest, I'm not feeling that, but I'm not the only human on earth. And I would like to get your guys take, like, are we just going with the Chuck or like, what, what are we doing there? You know, I kind of like Chuck box. I, I, I liked know. it too, but it's not sticking. I think we should, we should not give Force up. It. Rooms. It's too soon. It's too soon to give up. Yeah. What do you got, Joe? Yeah. I think the good news about this is that if I know anything, and I know very little, but if I know anything about mergers and acquisitions, it's that it probably <laughs> won't be named Charles Schwab Field very long. It's a great point. Um, it seems like financial institutions are always kind of merging. And actually, at some point, they're just all, every baseball stadium in the country at all levels is going to be called Truest Field or Truest Park, yeah. because it seems like we've got a number of those already. Uh, so, you know, it probably won't be Charles Schwab Field for very long, uh, just given. I'm kind of rooting for GoDaddy.com Park. Oh, there Go you go. Joe, you, you've got the juices flowing now. Like, I want to call it M&A <laughs> Park. I want to call it Shareholders Park. I want to call mm. it Earnings Report Park. Yeah. I, you know what I'm going to do just to mock it is I'm going to call it Chuck Schwab Field from now on. Because if I ever had the pleasure of meeting Charles Schwab, I'll just call him Chuck because I can. 
I'm pretty sure he's deceased, though. Anyway, can, can we confirm? R.I.P. I don't know. Uh, I would yeah, have loved to have met you. That's one of the celebrities we missed and we're in our death sweepstakes over the week in, uh, in Omaha. Yeah. Uh, Charles Schwab is still alive. Really? Oh, no. Um, yes. There's got to be several of them, right? How dare you doubt? Charles Robert Schwab Sr. is an American investor and financial executive. He is the founder and chairman of the Charles Schwab Corporation. He is 85 years old. Get out of here. I would have gotten. We, we did play wow. a. We did play a few rounds of Dead or Alive in the press box uh, this weekend. Also, <laughs> by the way, um, I believe Kendall, Kendall, you did okay in that one. You did okay in that one. No, I think I did okay on that. No, one. No, Teddy, but... Teddy won it though. Teddy went five for five. How about that? Wow. Well done, Teddy. He well, reads a lot of the, yeah. Yes. <laughs> as, as I was going to say this. Can I? Can I give uh, Todd Blackledge some credit? You know, Joe came on here, refused to rank him in a, in the gym rankings, power uh-huh. rankings. And what did he do? He responded by getting a D1 baseball subscription. So, so thank oh. you, Todd. Even though, even though Joe put you down, you still support us. So thank you for that. Interesting. Most, of the, most people who are watching this show right now have no idea what we're talking about. They're just like, we're just like all these callbacks. Like, unless you watched every show, <laughs> everyone's just lost right now. Like, well, these clowns, please talk about LSU. <laughs> ah. yeah. Joe, Joe, did I finish number one in the gym rankings? Or did, uh, you uh, did. Handsome, handsome Mike Monaco pass me up. No. no, Mike Monaco still five. The rankings are the same as as they were, uh, the beginning. Five, Mike Monaco. Four, Todd Walker. Three, Tom Thank Walter. You. Two, the guy at the hotel who walked around with a parrot on his shoulder. And one, Kendall Rogers. Uh, Todd Blackledge outside looking in. Uh, one more note on Charles Schwab. Um, a, an alum of Stanford. So the Cardinal were basically playing home games really? uh, yeah. in Omaha, and they they blew it. So, wow. um, but yes, wow. a Stanford alum, Charles Schwab. Is that, is that more of a home field advantage than, than playing a Deke Town? Hashtag Deke Town. <laughs> Hard to say. Feels Hard like a say. It plays different uh, than Deke Town. Boy, so let's let's wrap it with yeah, this, boys. Yeah. Since Charles Schwab is alive, um, when we have the, um, the D1 baseball shareholders meeting this year in Cut and Shoot, Texas, at Time to Spare, Ooh. I propose that we invite Charles Schwab to be the, the keynote speaker. That's That's – I think that's the best way to. to well, he has a he has a ranch outside of cut and shoot, so that should work out well. <laughs> Probably owns cut and shoot. <laughs> All right, boys, let's let's do some reflecting on the 2023 season. We will soon be thinking about the 2024 season. Um, let's just talk about the national champion. Reflections on LSU. Fitzy, um, LSU wins their seventh national title. That's second overall behind the 12 for Southern California. Skip Bertman won five. Palmineri won one, and now. Jay Johnson in his mid forties is one one. What uh, what are what's the takeaway from LSU's national title run for you? Yeah, I mean they were the best team when it came down to it. I mean they're the best team heading into the season, and for a little while there, we thought maybe they aren't the best team anymore because they're, you know, they, they got some injuries in the mound. I mean, you know, once they lost Grant Taylor and they lost um, Chase Shores and they lost Garrett Edwards, I was kind of no, I was kind of no longer of the opinion that they are the best team anymore. And you know what? They weren't for a little while there. You know, I would say for a good, you know, month, maybe five weeks, uh, it was fair to say that they were no longer the best team. But then in the end, they figured it out on the mound, and they were the best team again. You know, I mean, like that's that's the best way I can put it is is they just kind of figured it out, and you know, the the offense was always elite. The defense. I mean, we got so much better when you had Trey Morgan back at first base yes. um, and the, the bullpen kind of coalesced and Thatcher Hurd finally figured it out. It took him a while, but he, he got there and um, you know, Riley Cooper emerged as a dude and all the pieces just kind of clicked into place. And I thought 
you know, hat tip to Jay Johnson. He, he pulled all the right levers all the way through. It was really a, a really masterful job of coaching. And obviously they were super talented and everyone's going to say, oh, they bought their team and blah, blah, blah. Well, say what you want about player acquisition. That's the world we live in now. They, they acquired talent better than anyone else. And then they, they put those pieces into place extremely well, extremely skillfully. The way that he, the decisions that he made about who to start and when and how to, to kind of deploy his assets there in the postseason, uh, I thought it was just masterful. So a uh, great team that was exceptionally well coached. Yeah, he used the whole roster, that's for sure. Kendall, what say you about LSU? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the biggest thing with LSU for me is uh, I love some of the secondary storylines. Obviously, people are going to talk about Paul, Dylan Cruz, guys like that. But I, I think back away from the portal here, and I look at these these Louisiana kids or these local, local-ish kids who decided to stick with it. You know, you think about Gavin Dugas. He was a guy that last year, they weren't real sure who's going to stay at LSU. Cable, so he's coming off an injury. He wasn't real sure he's going to return to LSU. Jordan Thompson, he was a guy that Jay Johnson had to make a very kind of drawn-out decision on whether or not he stays at LSU or whether or not he ends up going to the portal. And I think it's really interesting that of all the contributions that the Skeenses and the Cruises and all these guys made, and Tommy White, I can't forget him, um, it was those three guys, too, that I thought really came up big for them. You know, Jordan Thompson in the last game, I thought I thought it was really cool that he played very well in that last game. I think it would have kind of left a sour taste had he played horrible and they still won. Uh, you know, Kate Beloso, what a, what a great storyline. I thought I – thought, I can't remember if it was Joe Aaron or I can't remember at this point who made the quote, but, you know, he looks more like an HVAC guy than a college baseball player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Gavin Dugas, like those three guys for me, like they're, they are what college baseball is all about. Like, not, no, like none of those three guys are probably making the major leagues, more than likely. I mean, the odds are against them, right, just from a tool standpoint. But all three of those guys are just special college baseball players. So that's the thing I take away from LSU. I think the other thing I kind of take away from the season is just how how much Wake Forest kind of made me eat my words in the preseason. You know, this was a team, guys, that, that in Omaha, I felt like Wake Forest did not play anywhere near their ability that they played with, you know, in all the weeks before, you know, the College World Series. And let's not forget, this is still a team that LSU had to walk off to advance in the National Championship Series. So that gives you an idea how good that team was, that they didn't even play anywhere near their best baseball, and they were still literally a hit away potentially. Uh, I mean, they actually did have the winning run on second base at one point in that game. Um, They were a hit away from essentially advancing and playing for the National Championship. I mean, it took a perfect play by Trey Morgan yeah. on that squeeze, you know, and I thought no, the squeeze, no doubt. squeeze was the right call with, with nine hole hitter, Merrick Houston there in that situation. And, uh, and, and he executed it pretty well. And, and Morgan made a great play. I mean, you know, that's how close Wake was to winning that game one, nothing. And then there would not be this LSU story right now. Yeah. And Tommy Hawk blisters a ball to left field right after yeah. that squeeze month that gets caught. I mean, it was, yeah, well said, Joe, what say you about LSU? I've had a kind of a big picture thought the last couple of days, and that's, that with the high, let me, let me back up a little bit. When, when Jay Johnson was hired at LSU, I think a lot of people kind of went, uh, like it just kind of felt like, a not what you would have expected. And let's face it. Jay Johnson doesn't sound like, or talk like a lot of sec head coaches. He did not come off the John Cohen coaching tree or the skip Bertman coaching tree or the Ray Tanner coaching tree or the Ron Polk coaching tree. And that's where a lot of head coaches have kind of come from in the last 20 years. Right. Um, He's a California guy who coached at Nevada and Arizona and, but he's just a good coach. And I think sometimes we get really kind of like, 
over our skis sometimes just assuming that a coach in a certain place has to be this or has to be that. And don't get me wrong, cultural fit is a thing. Um, I'm not saying we ignore that kind of stuff, but he's just a good coach. And uh, so I think more than anything else, like just focus on finding a guy who you think can maximize your program and less about, you know, is he from Louisiana or is he from Mississippi or did he coach for this guy or did he play at this place? And then I think secondarily, I got asked on Baton Rouge radio actually today, earlier today, as we record this, like, how do you feel if you're an LSU fan, how do you feel with Jay Johnson kind of as your coach now? And I said, like, obviously you feel great. You just won a national title, but even more than that, is, you know, people will be a little bit critical as Aaron alluded to the, oh, they bought their players or whatever else. And I think that's ridiculous on its face. But also one thing I know about Jay Johnson is that whatever the rules do from now, if NIL changes or recruiting changes or transfer portal changes, or we start playing baseball games on the moon or whatever, like he's going to find a way to just maximize his roster based on the rules that are set out for him. He's not going to be a guy who's going to go, complain about it. And I hate this and this is dumb. And here's all the reasons why. And I'm just going to keep plugging along and doing what I've done the whole time. Like, no, he's, he's going to figure out how to make his team better under the set of rules he's given. When I think there's been a lot of um, negativity about the portal or NIL and a lot of attempts to kind of say, ah, we're not really going to be in that game. We're just going to worry about us and just do what we do. Well, okay. Well, the guy who was most aggressive about playing the game with the rules that were laid out, just won a national title. So you kind of got to make a decision and his way of doing things at this point has, has worked. And I think there's probably a lot of programs and a lot of coaches that are now spending the off season, probably doing a lot of reflection on what this, what this means moving forward. Love it. Uh, by the way, uh, gentlemen, J row on the Nutribullet at the 1457 mark of the podcast, Joe, that's a wonderful plant behind you. Is that a plastic plant or is that real plantage right there? And is that plant in the portal? It could be for the right price. Um, I, I will ship this to his own you. plant in the portal. That's right. Uh, it is. It is fake, but it is. Re- it is resplendent. I will. I will agree. Yes, I, I, I do enjoy that plant. Yes, it's excellent. I will say this: like Jay Johnson, where he did fit with LSU is he's totally obsessed with college baseball, and you know the fan base for LSU was awakened, invigorated, rejuvenated, whatever word you want to use. I mean, they bought like 60,000 jello shots in Omaha. I think Ole Miss bought whatever in the 20,000s, and we thought that was, you know, the Guinness Book of World Records to stand forever. Um, it, it was just, you know, what was cool about the LSU season was it was, a, it was a compelling team like Tennessee was last year from front to back. Um, they were the most famous team. You're going to potentially have crews and schemes go one and two which has never happened before um you know I, I would argue what they did in the portals not replicatable I mean you know Thatcher Hurd was the best freshman in the Pac-12 last year you could argue that they got him Tommy White breaks a freshman home run record they get him you know Paul Skeens is a generational arm they get him like the comp the, the trifecta of Skeens Hurd White is not available in this portal that I can tell um, I would be shocked. But like, as you guys pointed out, the, the homegrown players were super fun. You know, like who if you can't root for Cade Beloso and Gavin Dugas, like you're 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 watching the wrong sport. I mean, that is everything that's right with the sport. Jordan Thompson, you know, where, you know, I, I, as you guys alluded to again, where I mean, Jay Johnson was openly and 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 actively shopping in the portal for shortstops. I mean, Carter Young committed to LSU, uh, the Pineda kid from Baylor committed to LSU. It, it was they were getting after it. And, you know, Jordan Thompson just kept coming, man. Like that, that that's a kid I've got a lot of respect for. 
And and then like Riley Cooper, I'm a Riley Cooper apologist. This kid has led every college team he's played on in appearances. And, and the final thing I'd say is this is where Jay Johnson and Wes Johnson deserve a lot of credit is I was a Thatcher Hurd doubter from until uh, the final day. And they really saw something like that's the advantage of being in the locker room and being at the bullpens. They saw something. They saw Thatcher Hurd turn a corner and they never backed down from that. And for them to start him in the final game when Skeens was sitting there, you know, it would have been controversial, but he was he was you, you could have done it. And um, man, I, I thought that that was really telling to me as I look back on it um, with 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 2020 hindsight. So, I mean, and, you know, oh, go ahead, Fitzy. And that's another example. I mean, you know, we said on the on the show that very morning. We, I think we all thought they were probably going to start Skeens. I, I certainly thought they would just because, like, well, you know, three days rest. If you're going to use him, like, keep him in his routine and, and start him. But the way Jay Johnson explained the decision not to do that made so much sense. He was like, well, you know, we, we evaluated him. We decided he probably had about 30 pitches in him. And yeah. if we're going to use, you know, if, if that's all he's got, then <clears throat> we're not going to start him. And then you give the other team a, a shot of momentum when he exits after 30 pitches in, in the second inning or whatever. Like, you know, instead we can give our own team some momentum if we need to bring him in late. Um, and of course it wound up working out the absolute perfect way for them. They didn't have to use him at all. And so they didn't even have to deal with the barrage of, of Twitter criticism that inevitably comes when you, you use a prize arm on three days rest. They just avoided that altogether and just cruised to a blowout even better. But um, you know, the way he explained it all made, made such sense and, you know, and and her, they believed in Hurd, and and you know we, we saw why. I mean, he was you know he was really, six innings, two hit ball, you know, and, and the game for the national title, like after a tough but, first inning, you yeah, know, like that, yeah. that it didn't start splendidly. I would I would the word that I would put on Jay Johnson, he's so thorough, you know, like he thinks about the game and our sport in, in such a thorough manner. And even when he was at Arizona, this is a dude that maximizes the entire roster as well as anybody. Like, think about what the mileage they got out of Hayden Travinsky and Alex Malazzo. I mean, Jay Johnson is a guy that keeps the bottom of his roster alive as good as anyone. I mean, it's really, really remarkable. And you have to do it when you're at a program like LSU where you're going you're gonna to take punches. I mean, like, you, you, they had a bullseye on their back. They carried a heavy weight around um, the entire year. So... Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, totally agree. That was one of the other things I talked about on radio in Baton Rouge is just one thing that you see a lot in college baseball is the pitching staffs get really, really short as the year goes on. And that's understandable sometimes, but it would have been really easy for this coaching staff to cast aside Thatcher Hurd and say, well, we just can't use him. Or when Riley Cooper, when things started getting hard, like we just can't use him. Or Gavin Guidry never put him on the mound to begin with. He's like, he's not ready for this. You know, we, we can't put him out in the middle of SEC play. What are we What are we thinking? But they just were like, eh, no, we're just going to keep trying it. And, you know, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that because I think it's a really bold way to play it, especially at a time of year when every, the, the voices saying this pitching staff is not good enough and this pitching staff is a disaster were really loud in like mid-April, late yep. April. I do have um, a loud voice. So it would have been really, really easy to just kind of – it would have just been really, really easy to kind of just roll with, you know, Skeens and, you know, Floyd and then, a, you know, just a, the same couple of guys that they trusted all along when instead they were saying, no, we're going to keep running guys out there and we're just going to trust they're going to figure it out and look look, look at them now. You know, I, I, was, I was down in Columbia for what I think was really a, a kind of an important turning point in their season, which was the day that Edwards blew out. And 
um, he was kind of their dude in the bullpen, right? He was the the guy. And I remember we had a rain delay that day. And so um, I was, t- you know, got some time with Jay on the field, breaking it down. And, and he couldn't help, but I think, and I wrote this in my story, he couldn't help but seem a little bit wistful about what, what might've been, right? Like, I think we're really good, but man, if we hadn't lost these four arms, like, oh my gosh, can you imagine, right? Like we have these big leaguers and it, you know, and it, it's just like, I think, I think he knew that it was going to be a lot harder. And, and, uh, but he said, you know what, we're just going to have to run Gidry out there. Like, this is it. Like he's got to be, he's got to be the next guy up, you know, and Herring and like these, these young guys got to grow up fast and we're just going to throw them out there, and, you know, and, 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 and figure it out. And, and they did. And, and, but like at that point, if, if you ask me, does Jay Johnson think this team's going to win it all, you know, late April in, in Columbia, South Carolina, I would say if he's being very honest. I, I would say he's probably had his doubts, but like they, they, you know, of course he loved his team. They never stopped believing. They never stopped trying to figure it out. And then they did figure it out, but uh, it was kind of part of the narrative arc of this season is, is they, their hand was forced a little bit. They had to roll with Hatcher Hurd and Gavin Guidry and these guys. Mm-hmm. Kendall, yeah, take you- us to take us. I'm sorry, you can finish your thought on LSU, but I want you to take us to Florida. Let me give you a stat on Florida that's that that just blew my mind a second ago. So you know, Florida had, had a little drought. They hadn't been back to Omaha since 2018. Kevin O'Sullivan has been the head coach of Florida for 15 seasons. Under his leadership, the Gators have gone to Omaha more than they've not gone to Omaha. That is an insane statistic in this day and age in college baseball in his 15 seasons, they've gone to Omaha eight times. They've not gone to Omaha seven times. That is ludicrous. And he lost his first super regional. He's won eight straight. Um, so anyway, yeah, you can finish your thought on LSU Kendall. And then I'd love you to kind of help us recap Florida season. Yeah. I was just going to say real quick in LSU, it was kind of interesting in the fall ball. You know, I saw Gavin Guidry at shortstop. Uh, in Lafayette and like he was very like tentative at that position like you could tell it was not a guy who's going to step right in and be a starting shortstop and I remember back then even Jay telling me in the fall that like he's such a good athlete and he's so such a talented guy and such a good arm that like they need to find some sort of role for him it just won't be at shortstop in year one so it's just interesting how he went from that to having a prominent role in the pitching staff but um, you know I think when you look at Florida overall this is a team that um, you know, uh, we, you know, we had highly rated coming this season, you know, and I, I think there were, there were reasons to be skeptical to an extent. Um, it's, I know this is putting Florida on like a huge pedestal, but like they didn't have bad years the last two years. Like they hosted regionals, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the bar for this program is so incredibly high because of Sully, because of what they built that I think every, every, all of us kind of went away thinking, oh, it's kind of a disappointment. Like, they just hosted a regional. They didn't really do anything else. And this is the team that I thought kind of put this program back where it belongs a little bit. Not necessarily back on the map. They're never off the map, but kind of back where they belong. I think, you know, when you look at the, the lineup as a whole, it's very balanced. Obviously, Wyatt Linkford had a great year. Josh Rivera, I know he struggled in the championship series, but, you know, had, had a great year overall. You know, the, the contributions from the young guys like Luke Heyman and, you know, Kate Curlin and certainly Jack Caglione. And then B.T. Ryapel. You know, we talk about stories in college baseball like the Belosos and the Gavin Dugasses and whatnot. But, you know, B.T. Ryapel is a guy that, you know, is done with his college baseball career or done with his baseball career in general. And, like, he had a huge year for them from a power standpoint. So, uh, I think I'll remember this Florida team, about, you know, as one that kind of reestablished the narrative that this program is elite. 
Uh, I think Florida's in really good hands moving forward. Obviously, they'll have some pieces to replace with Sprode and Waldrop and guys like that. But I just thought, you know, this Florida team was very consistent throughout the year, and uh, it was fitting that they finished the season in the championship series. Joe, what say you about the Gators? To what Kendall alluded to, I, I think what's kind of impressed me from the very beginning about this Florida team is how they've been pretty single-minded about the last couple of years have not been our standard. And I think that was a big motivation behind Sprout and Rivera and Ryapel coming back was, was not individual, you know, accolades. Although look, I mean, they're all looking to play professional baseball, except Ryapel, I guess he's going into finance, but you know, Rivera and Sprout, like, sure. They, they also want to play professional baseball and get drafted as high as possible, whatever else. But they really did seem as a group, pretty motivated to be like, look, this is, this is not happening again. Like we're, we're going to, you know, host regionals and get out of regionals and get back to Omaha and challenge to win a national title. And, and, and they did so. And, and honestly, with things not always being easy, like offensively, I think things actually did come fairly easy for this group that, I mean, Cade Curland was better than he really had any right to be as a early enrollee freshman, right. Being as physical as he was. And, you know, everybody they needed to be great was great. Caglione was, I think better than they could have ever hoped from a power perspective. But on the mound, though, I, I, I've been asked a couple of times, like on the whole, did Florida's rotation kind of underachieve? And I think that's harsh, but also maybe not totally off base, right? I mean, they just never threw strikes great. And that ended up being what cost them in the, in the, mm -hmm. in the finals, right? Not, not just Caglione, that was the extreme example. But Waldrop had to get bailed out in game two. And Sprout, you know, lasted four innings and walked five in the first game. Ultimately, strike throwing was the, was what cost them in that championship series. But that was kind of an issue all year. I think I said it on our preview show before the finals, like Sprout's their best strike thrower. And when you say Sprout is their best strike thrower, like that says something about the strike throwing ability of your rotation. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it is kind of fair that, you know, that that rotation was great, but like on talent could have been excellent. And it just wasn't quite so. And I say that as a way to give them accolades, not to drag them down. I, I give them the accolades of the bullpen came along and the offense picked them up whenever Caglione couldn't get out of the first inning. And, you know, Sprout gave up six runs in a Friday start on occasion. And, you know, the, the offense came around, the bullpen came around um, and kind of lifted up the, the pitching staff sometimes, which I think I kind of assumed coming into the year, it would be the other way around that there would be a lot of outings for, the pitching staff where they give up two and three runs and, and the offense is, you know, maybe just has to score four or five. It actually was kind of the other way around there. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Hey everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Fitzy, what say you? Yeah, I think Joe makes a great point. I think it felt kind of like Florida's fatal flaw all year long that could jump up and bite them was the lack of great strike throwing in the rotation. And, you know, you'd see those guys at certain times. I mean, I saw Cags at his very best, as I've said a number of times, I think, against Vanderbilt. And he was awesome. But that wasn't really the status quo for him. It was a lot of four and a third five walks pitching out of trouble for most of the season. Um, you know, and, and Waldrop, as many guys he struck out, it's also a very high walk total, you know. Um, and he was he was very good in the postseason until the very end. But, I mean, like, 
kind of reverted. I wouldn't say reverted to form, but like it was, it was always lurking there. You know, the, 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 the wildness factor. And um, it just, you know, it wasn't a very efficient trio. And, um, you know, I think they, they performed below their full potential as far as, as far as, you know, you look at the, the guys that throw hundred miles an hour and have, you know, this elite splitter, whatever, like these elites, elite pitches, um, there is a higher upside, but also like, it's going to take a little time to get there. I don't think any of us really thought that they were quite ready this year to like maximize their upside. And so from that perspective, you know, kind of uh, the year that they had was about maybe what you would expect. Is that fair to say runes? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, you know where my, my head's at on this Fitzy is that Kevin O'Sullivan, the reason that program has excelled under him is that he's probably as good as we have in our sport at roster building, like just assembling an incredibly talented group. And I think, you know, like to your guys' point, like this team was extremely talented. We probably will go back and look at Florida as the team that had the most big leaguers in this thing, you know, 10 years from now. But, you know, the, all the things that you guys mentioned were in play and, and winning a game last week is different than winning a game in 10 years. But I would say that my overarching takeaway from Florida is, you know, our sport has changed so rapidly. You've got NIL, the portal, you've got you in college baseball to be good. And this has always been the case. You've got to keep players and you've got to get players. And Sully has always been great at both. And he was great at both again this year, you know, like painting a picture for Brandon Sprout that, Hey, you can do better than the 99th pick, which he's going to. He, like I saw Kylie McDaniel's mock draft this week, Brandon Sprout was 40th there. So that was a smart move by Brandon Sprout as we sit here today. You know, convincing Josh Rivera that, hey, this is not how you want to leave college baseball. You know, BT Ryapel, same thing. And, and, you know, obviously Hurston Waldrop comes over f- through the portal. And then, you know, like just like LSU, Florida's got incredible homegrown players. And I think that's that's kind of the era we're entering where you still like you can't go portal only. I don't think that's a realistic way to to build an Omaha roster. You've got to be good at keeping your players out of the portal, keeping your players from signing when appropriate and acquiring players that are looking for a better place. I mean, it's tricky, but Kevin O'Sullivan just got like a, a special talent for it, which is remarkable to me. Hey, let's let's do uh, let's let's put a capper. I'll come right back to you, Fitzy. Let's put a capper on the NCAA tournament. You, you could focus on the College World Series if you wanted to, but obviously we wanted to give special um, attention to Florida and LSU because of what they accomplished. But any other overarching thoughts on the College World Series or the NCAA tournament in general, Fitzy? Uh, I mean, certainly it was a very compelling College World Series until the final two games. Um, the park played so much different once the wind was blowing out. Uh, it, it turns out, you know, as much as we all were – we have a tendency to gripe about the wind constantly blowing in, but I mean, all the drama dramatic games in this tournament were when the wind was blowing in. And yes. Once the wind was wind shifted, we had, we had a couple of blowouts. Um, that said, I mean, I think that was partly a product of, of you know, the, the pitching yeah. like LSU did not have, and they were kind of taxed in the middle game of that finals when they got blown out. Uh, but, you know, um, Lot, lots of really exciting games. I mean, the, the, the Wake Forest LSU game for the bracket championship, the Skeens versus Louder game. Ooh, I, I, don't know if I've, I don't know if I've ever been more excited for a matchup than I was for that. Just the, these, the two best pitchers in the country, you know, for the teams that were, again, the only two teams all year long that were ranked number one in the rankings going at it. Winner goes to the finals and it lived up to it. You know, I mean, for those two guys to trade zeros, 15 combined zeros, 
bullpens were great. And then, you know, you had a, a star, Tommy White, in delivering this iconic moment in the 11th inning to win it. Uh, that is a game that I, I suspect I will always remember. Um, and so it's nice when you've got those kind of, those kind of lasting memories, even though it wasn't really from the finals. Like, um, you know, it's like, I don't know that it will be a lasting memory from the finals unless it's, it's you know, Cade Veloso, I guess, had the, the game-winning homer in the first yeah. game. But, I mean, but Tommy's being a walk-off, you know, and, and, and capping that particularly epic game, it feels like that's going to be maybe the lasting memory from this World Series. Yeah. The, the, Kendall, as I turn to you, the, the mem- one of the memories for me in the finals, it's, it's, it's a memory, but it's, like, so crazy. I, I doubt it every time I think of it. And I'm going ac- to actually ask you this question, Kendall. Ty Floyd struck out 17 in a finals game. Is that correct? It was 17 punch outs. Yeah, 17. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Remember, like, the Roger Clemens struck out 20 in a big league game 100 years ago, and we lost our minds. You know, like, it was like putting a man on the moon. G- give me your takeaways from the CWS, Kendall. Yeah, first of all, what was crazy about Ty Floyd's 17 strikeout game is, like, he just kept doing the same thing over and over. Like, he just yeah. kept throwing the fastball up in the zone. He was, you know, he was mixing in a few breaking balls and stuff like that, his changeup. But for the most part, it was just a fastball up in the zone. They just didn't see it very well. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me when I look at this postseason as, you know, as a whole is, you know, kind of the rise of the mid-majors a little bit. You know, Indiana State was a team that, you know, early on the year we're thinking, okay, maybe these guys aren't as good as a record. Maybe they're not as good as our RPI. But, you know, I saw those guys up close, and um, that was a really good baseball team. You know, they weren't quite as talented as TCU. They weren't quite as talented as some of these bigger schools. But they had a really solid lineup top to bottom. You know, you know, Connor Finlong and, and Jatchett, um, you know, those Jason. guys were both Jasic or whatever. Those guys were both, you know, really solid college pitchers. Finlong, I, I actually think, has a little bit of projectability at the next level. Yeah, you know, can. he's kind of a bigger guy. He was up to 93, 94 against TCU. Um, so I really like their club. You know, ORU, you know, Ryan Fulmer uh, did a wonderful job with that team. He's very committed to ORU. You know, he had a chance to take the Penn State job, decided to stay put in Tulsa. Uh, he has something pretty special there. You know, you look at that team with Jonah Cox and, you know, Kay Denton. This was not a Cinderella team. This was a team that the RPI just didn't like the whole year uh, because of the conference they play in. But that was a really good baseball team. Uh, and the other team for me that I think, especially as we, you know, we're, we're not going to look ahead too much. We've got the Omaha podcast coming up. But, you know, TCU, uh, you know, Kirk Sarlous, it's, you know, we all, we all thought Lois was a really good coach. But when TCU hired him, when Jim Schlossing went to A&M, you know, there's a part of you that wonders, okay, like we think Kirk Sarlos is going to be really good, but he kind of has to go prove it. And now it's a guy that, you know, last year won the Big 12 championship, you know, Big 12 uh, regular season championship. They, you know, fell short of hosting a regional. They lose to A&M. And then this year they win the Big 12 tournament championship. They just just destroy Arkansas in Fayetteville, which is hard to do, much less in the postseason. Uh, and then they beat Indiana State and actually played really well in Omaha. So as you look ahead – all of a sudden this, you know, this, this, you know, I guess staff that you kind of felt like we're still kind of waiting to see what they're truly about. Now they're like, the foundation is set. Like they're going to be a really good team next year. And so I thought that was a storyline for me too. I thought TCU a little bit like Florida kind of reestablished itself as as an elite program. I thought TCU might've done that this year as well. Love that. Joseph. I'll first build off a little bit of what Kendall said with some of these mid-major clubs making runs. And I, I'm reminded this year of kind of the cruelty of this format sometimes, right? I think I alluded to it in a joking way on a podcast leading up to the CWS that, you know, East Carolina kind of keeps ramming its head against the wall in super regionals over and over again. And, you know, Southern Miss has been to Omaha back in 09, but now two years in a row, they've um, 
felt pretty good about their chances, you know, hosted super regionals tiers in a row and just keep getting knocked off by, you know, SEC clubs the last couple of years. And yet Oral Roberts just kind of want to say waltzes into the college world series, but like it's their first try in a while, you know, they, they got to supers in 06, but Oral Roberts first time they've gotten to that stage in a while. And it's like, you know, they just, here we go, Omaha. So it's just, is kind of a reminder of how cruel the format can be. Um, you know, so much depends on your draw and, um, how you're playing and how your team, the matchup, uh, how the ballpark is playing, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I'm reminded too of, uh, you know, I looked at the numbers after last season that, that East Carolina basically has been totally snake bitten in terms of who they faced off with in Oof. supers. Like it's always a top eight seed. It's always a juggernaut. It seems like they just, you know, that's, we've talked about that before. Um, I think the other thing, not, not totally on a different topic, but like relatedly, I think is that, I, you know, I write about the SEC. I do an SEC podcast and Mark and I at the beginning of the season, we're like, man, it's just so hard to be one of those typical bottom half SEC clubs and claw your way up. Well, Kentucky hosted a regional this year. Mm. Alabama hosted a regional this year. Auburn hosted a regional for the second year in a row. Um, it could be done. Carolina. South yeah. Carolina fought their way back up and the last two national champions weren't even in Hoover. So, you know, I, I think the look, we're process over results here at D1 Baseball. The process of that thought, I think, is true. The SEC's never been more competitive. Um, there's just the, the, the investment, whether you want to look at facilities, coaching salaries, NIL money, all that stuff are through the roof. However, like, you know, it's probably, I, I should probably pump the brakes on that thought that like, oh, you're just never going to claw your way back up in the SEC. Like, I think we saw this year that, that's just not really true. If, if you find the right combination and some of it's sustainable, some of it's not, you know, Kentucky did a really good job in the portal. Is that going to work every year? Probably not. Uh, South Carolina, the same way, right? Um, Alabama, you know, they lost guys in the portal because of a coaching change, but had they kept all of their young players that felt more sustainable because they're building there. Right. So like, again, like I don't want to extrapolate that too far out, but the idea that you just, you know, you're, you're, you know, uh, fighting upstream, I guess you are fighting upstream to try to claw your way up in, in a league like the SEC. And I think it's also true in the ACC, but shout out Boston College, right? Yeah, um, awesome story. You know, they, they flirted with hosting and were one of the better two seeds in the field, got to a regional final. So I should include the ACC as well. I mean, um, these leagues are tough, sure. But I think what we saw this year was that, look, if you, if you hit on the right formula, it, it can be done. And we had some great examples. Yeah, I would say, too, like, you know, we'll come back to that thought of SEC dominance in a second. But, you know, just the, the overall interest level in our sport has it just it feels like it's skyrocketing right now. You know, we all saw this on Twitter that the final game with LSU in Florida generated three point six million viewers on ESPN. And this is not me taking a shot at softball because softball is also a sport that is rocket ship growth right now. But our final game was 3.6 million. Softballs was 1.8 million. And they were on ABC. So that's impossible to do. Like, you can't double some other game when they're on ABC and you're on ESPN. Now, LSU has a lot to do with that, right? Like, the LSU fan base is just like no other. You know, like, this is the Roy Hobbs of college baseball fan bases in, in, in you know, really every way I can think of. But all that said, I mean, you know, the – 
it's it just it's a it's an amazing time in the sport and the college world series you mentioned it fits all the close games and we had oral roberts as the third number four seed in 24 years to make domaha all these brand name programs i mean one side of the bracket was lsu wake forest stanford and 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 tennessee are you kidding me i mean with all that talent there i you know i, I keep index cards and we're doing squeeze play and you know I, I just i'm thinking about the atmosphere in lexington joe when you brought up kentucky i mean that was unreal how good that was when they played uh indiana in that final game and you know how about uh i'm, I'm thinking about penn going out 2-0 and in the auburn regional and my man ryan Drumboski uh just slinging it against auburn and you know penn the go-ahead uh they beat auburn in extra innings which doesn't feel like it can happen but here's penn's big inning walk double from their seven hole hitter who's looks like a bat boy one single squeeze, squeeze. That was the game winning inning. I mean, God bless the Quake Show. And, you know, like Danny Kerwin from uh, from Ryder and Richie Sicko from Ryder and my favorite name of the tournament, Vinny Spazuko from Central Connecticut State. So it's a long way of saying this. The, the, the great stories were coming from all over the place. They were coming from the Northeast and from the West Coast and from, you know, Oral Roberts in the Southwest. And um, it was just it was just a brilliant tournament. It was a great year for college baseball. Now that's the good news. Here's the here's the the cautionary tale. I want to get your guys' thoughts on the SEC is is just in a period of utter domination. None of our sports. I'm not ready to say that, but they are dominating the national championship. Like there's no room for anyone else to win a national title right now. We are we we know this. We are a foul pop up away from the SEC having won six straight national titles in baseball. They've won five out of six. And that would be six different schools. So, you know, like I didn't look at Wake Forest. I, I, I didn't look at LSU's roster and then look at Wake Forest's roster and say, oh, yeah, I'm taking LSU's roster every day of the week. You'd have to sit there and think about it, I think. Like, in, and I think a reasonable person could say, you know what? I'll take Wake Forest's roster to go into this tournament. I think it's a very rational, reasonable choice. You could also pick LSU or Florida. But I do think... I, I'm of two minds. I think the SEC's dominance in our sport is really good for the short-term health of the sport. Like, we're growing on the backs of the SEC. This league's done more for the sport than any other league. Hard stop for me. The question is, is that good for the long-term health of our sport? I don't know what the answer to that question is, but I'm, I'm concerned enough to be thinking about it a lot. What, what say you guys on that? Go ahead, Fitzy. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, th I think you're right. I mean, it's right now it's, it's, the, the, it feels like the gap is widening. Um, and you can take any individual year and be like, oh, I mean, Lake Forest is a safety squeeze away for beating LSU. Okay. Mm -hmm. But they, they, they didn't, but like, I, I don't, I don't, for me, I don't think it means LSU is like, they're better than Wake because they played in the SEC. It just means like there was a close game. When you're the SEC, you're going to have more teams that are going to be in position to be in these close coin flip games because, you have more depth, you have more resources, you have, you know, I mean, that, that's the biggest difference. It feels like every year um, the SEC has a, a larger collection of teams that are legitimate national title contenders. Yeah. Like there might be a team in the pack, a team or two, whatever, and then pack the Big 12, the ACC, they're going to be in there. And we saw that, you know, Stanford and TCU and, you know, UVA and Wake, like there's other teams that get to Omaha. But I mean, every year, when you're looking at, the, at, at things and, and the top 10, you know, maybe seven of the top 10 teams at various points of the season are SEC teams. There's just, there's just more chances for them to be in these coin flip games. 
you know, which not all the coin flips are going to go their way. But if you got more teams in position, that means that more often than not, you know, you're, you're going to you're going to wind up on top. And so um, I guess that's the difference is like is one thing. Law of like averages. Wake Forest, well, it's, it's law of averages exactly is what it is. I mean, Wake Forest had a great team. They had a historic season. You know, they were the best team in the country from start to finish, I would say. I would include LSU with that because LSU had a lull and Wake Forest did not have any kind of lull. But in the end, they lost the coin toss. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it felt. Yeah. Kendall, what, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing with college baseball is like the, the other parts of the country uh, kind of have to get it together. And what I mean by that is, is you know, I'm going to talk about the portal here in the sense that when you look at the SEC, for the most part, that conference is going to own the portal. But what's but what the way schools can combat this kind of thing is, I get not every school has NIL, not every school has collectives and they were or robust collectives certainly for baseball. But I think what would be important for some of these schools is it's the nature of the beast is make sure that your best two or three players are taken care of. You know, if you if you if you're a West Coast school and you can keep your two or three best players from going to the SEC or or even going east in general then you have a pretty pretty strong foundation to choose from. The problem is, is if, if your two or three best players are leaving every other year, then like you're, you're never building a foundation of, you know, elite players or great players. And, and to build a elite program, it's really hard to do that without those guys. So I think schools will adjust. I think there will be market corrections and NIL or whatnot, but the schools are going to have to adjust. They're going to have to go out there and make sure some of these kids that they have, again, I hate it that it's this way, but you got to make sure those kids are taken care of so that they don't necessarily want to just pack their bags and go to the SEC after, you know, when you're at Sac State. Like, I feel for guys like, you know, Reggie Christensen, who, you know, the Aloy kid wins whack for us in the year, and within a week and a half of the season ending, he's in the portal. You know, Sanford, uh, I feel horrible for Casey Dunn. I mean, they had, um, you know, they had Ledbetter. Um, they had uh, Sonny. They had, you know, now Jaden Davis. Uh, in the portal as well, probably going to an SEC school. And, uh, you know, it's like their best player every year going to the portal, going to the SEC. So you've got to find a way to keep those kids at home. I know it's easier said than done. The problem is, is when you look at the SEC as a whole, and now, you know, the ACC is getting there too with their network, is kids have so much exposure to these conferences. You know, they get online right now and or get online during the season, go to, you know, watch ESPN, and the entire list of baseball games, because ESPN doesn't have a robust MLB package anymore, the entire list of baseball games is SEC, 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 uh, ACC, ACC, and like perception's reality. And the perception there is that those two conferences are a lot bigger deal than every other conference. So I think it's also up to the conferences to uh, negotiate better deals to get more of their games on those kind of platforms because that stuff 100% matters. I know coaches bring it up and recruiting and whatnot, and that matters too. So it's good. It's up to the to the schools to take care of these kids, but it's also up to the conferences, mainly talking the Big 12 here. Now they've realigned. They're adding UCF, Cincinnati, BYU. You've got to get better television deals, and, and not necessarily on the actual ESPN, but like on ESPN Plus and things like that. Yeah, I don't disagree. Joe, what, what are your thoughts on this, this whole SEC? SEC dominance, good for the sport, long-term, maybe a little concerning. Yeah, and look, I come at this from the perspective of I make my living now covering SEC baseball, so I love the quality from top to bottom. I love the the quality of player, the quality of facilities, uh, the, the fan passion, all that kind of stuff. However, I'm 
have been a college baseball fan long enough and I'm smart enough to know that a unchecked trend line in this direction is not healthy for the sport. However, I will give you this kind of silver lining, positive thought about it. This is also an issue in college football. Um, you know, it has become less of a national sport has become more of a regional sport. And that is in large part because of the sec dominance. Yes. But a related point is that in college football, you have the college football playoff and yes. Okay. That's going to 12 teams in a couple of years, but for the last decade plus it's been four teams and as fans and as a college, college football universe, we kind of buy into, well, all that really matters is who's in those four, who those four teams are and who wins that. Um, because that's kind of what we're fed. Right. Um, and so with 12 teams, it gets a little better, but still we're, we're going to be talking about a really small number of programs. And then everyone else is fighting it out for the, you know, the Gator bowl or whatever. And I love college football bowl games because they're great to watch on TV when it's December 28th and there's nothing else on TV and you're just sitting at home for the holidays. But let's not pretend like those are as big a deal as they were when our parents were growing up and the bowl games were this big event that everyone looked forward to, even the smaller ones, right? So I say all that to say, the benefit college baseball has is that their postseason is still inclusive. Yes. And the NCAA tournament is not next year going to decide, hey, let's put in 14 SEC teams and four ACC teams and three big 12 teams and two Pac-12 teams and then a bunch of one-bid leagues. Well, no, the ACC is still going to get eight, nine, ten, whatever. The big 12 is still going to get four or five. The Pac-12 will get three, four, five. Um, so the the postseason, the thing that matters in our sport is still inclusive. You could even take that to Omaha, right? Okay, yes. Two years ago, we had four SEC teams plus Oklahoma and Texas, future SEC teams. That's an outlier. You look at this year and we had pretty good representation. Included, sure. you know, we had the West Coast, we had a mid-major from the middle of the country, we had a Texas team, and plenty of SEC, obviously. So that's what I would say is a silver lining. I, I in the big picture, I think yes, this trend line of just SEC gobbling up more and more market share for however you want to define that is not great. And as a college baseball fan, I don't want it to to con- necessarily just continue that way because I want the sport to be healthy. However, I don't think we're kind of in, I don't think we need to be as existential about it as maybe they do in football um, because we're still getting good representation in our postseason, And I yeah. think that's ultimately when the eyeballs are on the sport. And I think as long as that representation exists in our, in our version of the NCAA tournament, I think we're in an okay spot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where my head's at too. You know, like I, I told you guys before we, we hit record that, I'm working like the two areas that feel really important to me right now, because, again, I want to repeat this. The the, the rocket ship trajectory we, we are on in college baseball right now, like it takes a village, but the SEC is leading the village, right? The SEC has done more for the sport than any other league. And that's just I don't know that that's debatable. Um, but, you know, like I, I think the two areas that become really important are access to the postseason, to your point, Joe. And, and as I told you guys before we hit record, I'm working on an article on, hey, I'm going to take the 2023 field and I'm going to make it 72 teams with 32 hosts. And I've got it mocked up and I'm just going to write up, hey, here's the things I don't like about it. Here's the things I really like about it. And, I you know, spoiler alert, I think the positives are significant enough that we really have to look at this. Um, you know, one of the one of the areas that concerns me is the Big Ten is about to become the second or maybe not about to become, but they are 
there's going to be two premier leagues in college sports, it seems. The SEC, who loves college baseball, and the Big Ten, who's really lukewarm on our sport. And that's frightening. And this 72-32 format kind of drags the Big Ten into the party. Like this year, the Big Ten would have had two hosts. And that feels like a big deal to me. I also am a little worried about roster, um, you know, like like 50-man rosters in the fall. You, we've, we've, I, I've commented on this many, many times. I, it concerns me. You know, like if, if the SEC is, is just, you know, preventing other teams from acquiring good players, that's a, that's a real concern for me. It's actually not even going to be good for the SEC because, in essence, some of these mid-majors will become feeder programs for the SEC. So they'd be better off, you know, uh, keeping less players in their in their shelves and let them go play and then just go get them later, in my opinion. But anyway, we'll have to create guardrails for that if we think that's the right idea. Um, I, it's going to be fun to think about in the, the short term for right now. Gosh, what a season. I mean, what a remarkable season we just had. Really, really fun. And, um, you know, just feels like we're in a really healthy place. So there you go. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really interesting kind of looking ahead because, you know, the Division One Council voted a couple of days ago to change kind of the way the selection committees are made for each sport. Mm-hmm. So now, so just to kind of give you an idea of this, the rule moving forward, uh, is there will now be a rep from every Power Five conference of the committee and approximately 30% of the committee members will be selected based on its school success <laughs> in the sport. So that's yeah, really interesting to me. Yeah, how they define success will be really yeah, that's, that would that's be a interesting. Great question. You know, like it's it's so obviously the Ivy League will have a representative on there because the Quake Show just went to Auburn and just <laughs> took names, right, Joe? I think correct. They were. I saw it with my own my own two eyes. I I also want to like because I don't want us to come off like we're just overly myopic. I mean, so we are a college baseball website and, and podcast, but you know, the Big Ten excels in a lot of other sports that we don't oh, care yeah. about, right? So like, it's all about resources right and i say we don't care about like we don't cover them um so it's just all about allocating resources and some conferences choose not to emphasize baseball but that's that's the we're not just you know there's nothing inherently wrong with certain conferences not really investing in baseball it's just that well that's the sport we cover and care about so i don't want us to come off like we're just kind of ugly myopic baseball people who think there's like there's virtue in investing in another in baseball versus another sport. Like, no, everybody, every school makes choices. Um, and some don't choose baseball, but that's, that's what we cover. And that's why we, that's why we bring it up this way. Joe, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm wearing my Newtown Edgemont Jersey. So I'm neither ugly nor myopic. So just, you mm. know, you and your vocab can go pound sand. You sound like you're from Aston Middletown or something. Um, who is our rival little league, but I would say, Joe, to your point in seriousness, this cannot be a scolding exercise. Like this is, we, we want, this is, this is sales and marketing, right? Like we want to make our sport so attractive that the athletic directors in the big, in the big 10 want to invest in college baseball. That's the way I look at it. Now, you know, again, they've got to, we can't like drag them to the sport, but we do, we, we, we can't tell them, you know, like I think it's, I think it takes two to tango is my thought there. Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah. Yeah, it's you know, and it's just tricky when you you know, the Big Ten is into wrestling, right? I mean, so it's yeah. just like they got a, a lot of sports. You know, that's a problem. That's, that's yeah. the yeah. that's a challenge. I will say yeah, this: you guys, schools have thirty plus. You know, some of the schools yeah. have thirty plus sports. That's crazy. You know, like that's that makes it really difficult. I would say, like, like here's the positives. There's so many positives, but the sport is growing. 
Um, it's really taken off. I think about like, hey, J.J. Weatherholt didn't go in the portal, right? Like J.J. Weatherholt loves it at West Virginia. He's staying at West Virginia. There's not a program in America that wouldn't pay for J.J. Weatherholt. Caleb Lomavita and Rodney Green Jr. at Cal, you know, from what I've heard, are going to stay at Cal. That's awesome, right? Like these kids didn't even they, – they've not gotten to play in the postseason two years in a row, but they like their experience at Cal so much that they're staying as we sit here today. Like not everyone's going to leave. And I, the other thing I think is, hey, if, if, if I'm a good fundraising coach and the rest of my league is at 11.7 scholarships and I can, I don't know, raise 200 grand a year in, in, in NIL money, guess what? Now I've got 15 scholarships and my competitors have 11. So there is – it's not all negative. Like, I mean, there, there are ways to spin this in, in a good in, in a good direction. I really believe that. I've been heartened uh, on a similar point. I've, I've been heartened by, you know, I'm doing these transfer portal updates. So I'm looking at the portal a lot and talking to people about the portal. And I've been heartened, frankly, by the number of times I hear the reasons for a player going from one school to another is just like, yeah, he wants to catch or he wants to play shortstop mm-hmm. or he wants to be a starter or he, you know, he just, he wants to play the field as opposed to DH or whatever it is like that feels uh, refreshing almost and quaint that like that, those are the reasons. So I've actually been kind of heartened by the fact that pretty rarely, I mean, you, you occasionally hear like, yeah, he's just, you know, kind of shopping around and like, I hear that actually hear that pretty rarely. Uh, Like I hear a lot of like, and some of it is self-serving. It's like, I want to play shortstop because that'll help me get drafted. Like I get it, but it's more of a baseball reason than just like, "Ah, I just kind of want to see what's out there and see what kind of, see what kind of, dollar figure interest I can get. Like, so I I do think that is positive. I think it's part of the reason also why, or not part of the reason, but I've also been heartened by the fact that it it does seem like there were, there was a lot of chaos in the portal and there still is chaos, but like, you know, it it feels like a little more controlled chaos. Maybe it's because we're all ready for it this year. I don't, I don't know. Um, So last year, last year felt like people, like there were more kids like looking for a bag. Whereas this year it's like, Chase Burns is in the portal because he wants to go somewhere where he knows he's going to start every single weekend. You know, yeah. it's not necessarily just looking for cash. Yep. Yep. Speaking of that, boys, one of the new patterns is we've got coaches that are going to the Cape to, you know, look at players. And, and I'd say more importantly, keep in touch with their current players because you worry that that's where the pirating takes place. And Kendall and Joe, I'm talking to you, you know, Fitzy's going to go to Barcelona or wherever he's going to go this week. And, you know, there's going to be a bunch of soccer magazines pecking around at him. Hey, come right for Real Madrid. Come right for Leeds United. So I don't know if one of us needs to hop on a plane for Barcelona tomorrow, but I I just I'm concerned, Fitzy. Let me just put it that way. Uh, coach, I'm just looking to, I'm just looking for an opportunity, right? If you get a few more bylines this year, I feel like Joe came in here, took all my bylines. I, 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 I'm just, I'm just, I just want to see what's out there. See what opportunities I can get. Uh, Kevin, gonna... I knew you shouldn't have hogged the SEC. That's see now Fitzy. Well, well the, the good thing is fit, fit offered while he was in Barcelona to take over the transfer portal for me. So he's going to take oh. over that while he's in Spain. Oh, there you go. If it's going to walk up to his uh, his room and there's just going to be like a case of port wine on the bed, just like from your <laughs> friends at, you know, you know, whatever, whatever sport magazine is over there. We are real magazine.com right. or something. Goodness gracious. Oh, gentlemen, it was fun. It was fun to, to chat virtually, although I do miss seeing everyone in person. Hey, uh, as we wrap up, remember, um, as we get all this summer stuff coming and we turn the page, get ready for the 2024 season, save 30. Uh, when you check out 
for an annual subscription will get you 30% off. Coupon Kendall over there, 30% off. Just type in save 30. Like, for instance, if you want to read the article on, you know, um, Paul Skeens winning the Kurt Reed Award. I mean, come on. Like, who doesn't want to read about that? Um, so save 30. If you're on YouTube, by the way, um, if you please hit subscribe, that is very helpful uh, for us getting the word out. So uh, that is it, everybody. Fitzy, have a great time in Europe. And uh, we will catch you all next time on the D1 Baseball Podcast. The D1 Baseball Podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.